Chapter Six of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Fessenden comes. It was about nine o'clock the next morning when Rob Fessenden rang the bell of the Van Norman house. Having heard nothing of the events of the night, he had called to offer any assistance he might give before the ceremony. The trailing garland of white flowers with fluttering streamers of white ribbon that hung beside the portal struck a chill to his heart. "'What can have happened?' he thought blankly, and confused ideas of motor accidents were thronging his mind as the door was opened for him. The demeanor of the footman at once told him that he was in a house of mourning. Shown into the drawing-room, he was met by Cicely Dupuy. "'Mr. Fessenden!' she exclaimed as she greeted him. "'Then you have not heard?' "'I've heard nothing. What is it?' Poor Miss Dupuy had bravely taken up the burden of telling the sad story to callers who did not know of it, and this was not the first time that morning she had enlightened inquiring friends. In a few words she told Mr. Fessenden of the events of the night before. He was shocked and sincerely grieved. Although his acquaintance with Miss Van Norman was slight, he was Schuyler Carleton's oldest and best friend, and so he had come from New York the day before in order to take his part at the wedding. While they were talking, Kitty French came in. As Mr. Fessenden began to converse with her, Cicely excused herself and left the room. "'Isn't it awful?' began Kitty, and her tear-filled eyes supplemented the trite sentence. "'It is indeed,' said Rob Fessenden, taking her hand in spontaneous sympathy. "'Why should she do it?' "'She didn't do it,' declared Kitty earnestly. Mr. Fessenden, they all say she killed herself, but I know she didn't. Won't you help me to prove that, and to find out who did kill her? What do you mean, Miss French? Miss Dupuy just told me it was a suicide. They all say so, but I know better. Oh, I wish somebody would help me. Molly doesn't think as I do, and I can't do anything all alone. Miss French's face was small and flower-like, and when she clasped her little hands and bewailed her inability to prove her belief, young Fessenden thought he had never seen such a perfect picture of beautiful helplessness. Without reserve, he instantly resolved to aid and advise her to the best of his own ability. "'And Mrs. Markham doesn't think as I do either,' went on Kitty. Nobody thinks as I do. I will think as you do, declared Fessenden, and so potent was the charm of the tearful violet eyes that he was quite ready to think whatever she dictated. Only tell me what to think and what to do about it. Why, I think Madeline didn't kill herself at all. I think somebody else killed her. "'But who would do such a thing? "'You see, Miss French, I know nothing of the particulars. 
I saw Miss Van Norman for the first time yesterday. Had you never met her before? Oh, yes, a few years ago. But, I mean, I came to Mapleton only yesterday and saw her in the afternoon. I was to be Schuyler's best man, you know, and as he didn't come here to dinner last night, I thought I'd better not come either, though I had been asked. He was a little miffed with Miss Van Norman, you know. Yes, I know. Mattie did flirt with Tom, and it always annoyed Mr. Carleton. Did you dine with him? Yes, at his home. I am staying there. By the way, I met Miss Burt there. Do you know her? No, not at all. Who is she? She's a companion to Mrs. Carleton, Schuyler's mother. I never saw her until last night at dinner. No, I don't know her, repeated Kitty. I don't believe she was invited to the wedding, for I looked over the list of invitations. Still, her name may have been there. The list was so very long. And now there'll be no wedding and no guests. No, said Kitty, only guests at a far different ceremony. Again the deep violet eyes filled with tears, and Fessenden was conscious of a longing to comfort and help the poor little girl, thrown thus suddenly into the first tragedy of her life. "'It would be dreadful enough if she had died from an illness,' he said. "'But this added awfulness—' "'Yes,' interrupted Kitty. "'But to me the worst part is for them to say she killed herself.' and I know she didn't. Why, Mattie was too fine and big-natured to do such a cowardly thing. She seemed so to me, too, though of course I didn't know her so well as you did. No, I'm one of her nearest friends, though Madeline was never one to have really intimate friends. But as her friend— I want to try to do what I can to put her right in the face of the world. And you said you'd help me. She looked at Fessenden with such hopefully appealing eyes that he would willingly have helped her in any way he could, but he also realized that it was a very serious proposition this young girl was making. "'I will help you, Miss French,' he said gravely. "'I know little of the details of the case,' But if there is the slightest chance that you might be right, rest assured that you shall be given every chance to prove it. Kitty French gave a sigh of relief. Oh, thank you, she said earnestly. But I'm afraid we cannot do much, however well we intend. Of course, I'm merely a guest here, and I have no authority of any sort. And, too, to prove that Mattie did not kill herself would mean having a detective and everything like that. "'I may not be everything like that,' said Fessenden, with a faint smile, "'but I am a sort of detective in an amateur way. I've had quite a good deal of experience, and though I wouldn't take a case officially, I'm sure I could at least discover if your suspicion have any grounds.' "'But I haven't any suspicions,' 
said Kitty, agitatedly clasping her little hands against her breast. I've only a feeling, a deep, positive conviction that Madeline did not kill herself, and I'm sure I don't know who did kill her. Fessenden gave that grave smile of his and only said, That doesn't sound like much to work upon, and yet I would often trust a woman's intuitive knowledge against the most conspicuous clues or evidences. Kitty thanked him with a smile, but before she could speak Miss Morton came into the room. "'It's perfectly dreadful,' that lady began in her impetuous way. They're going to have the coroner after all. Dr. Leonard has sent for him, and he may arrive at any minute. Isn't it awful? There'll be an inquest, and the house will be thronged with all sorts of people. Why are they going to have an inquest? demanded Kitty, whirling around and grasping Miss Morton by her elbows. Because, she said quite as excited as Kitty herself, because the doctors think that perhaps Madeline didn't kill herself, that she was, was... Murdered, exclaimed Kitty. I knew it. I knew she was. Who killed her? Mercy, I don't know, exclaimed Miss Morton, frightened at Kitty's vehemence. That's what the coroner is coming to find out. But who do you think did it? You must have some idea. I haven't. Don't look at me like that. What do you mean? It must have been a burglar, went on Kitty, because it couldn't have been anyone else. But why didn't he steal things? Perhaps he did. We never thought to look. How you do run on. Nobody could steal the presents because there was a policeman in the house all the time. "'Then why didn't he catch the burglar?' demanded Kitty, grasping Miss Morton's arm, as if that lady had information that must be dragged from her by force. Feeling interested in getting at the facts in the case, and thinking that he could learn little from these two excited women, Rob Fessenden turned into the hall just in time to meet Dr. Hills, who was coming from the library. "'May I introduce myself?' he said. "'I'm Robert Fessenden of New York, a lawyer, and I was to have been best man at the wedding. You, I know, are Dr. Hills, and I want to say to you that if the earnest endeavor of an amateur detective would be of any use to you in this matter, it is at your disposal. Mr. Carleton is my old and dear friend, and I need not tell you how he now calls forth my sympathy. Instinctively, Dr. Hills liked this young man. His frank manner and pleasant, straightforward ways impressed the doctor favorably, and he shook hands warmly as he said, this is most kind of you, Mr. Fessenden, and you may prove the very man we need. At first we were all convinced that Miss Van Norman's death was a suicide, and though the evidence still strongly points to that, I am sure that there is a possibility, at least, that it is not true. May I learn the details of the case? 
"'May I go into the library?' said Fessenden, hesitating to approach the closed door until invited. "'Yes, indeed. I'll take you in at once. Dr. Leonard, who is in there, is the county physician, and though a bit brusque in his manner, he is an honest old soul and does unflinchingly what he judges to be his duty. Neither then nor at any time, neither to Dr. Leonard himself nor to anyone else, did Dr. Hills ever mention the difference of opinion which the two men had held for so long the night before, nor did he tell how he had proved his own theory so positively that Dr. Leonard had been obliged to confess himself wrong. It was not in Dr. Hill's nature to say, I told you so, and fully appreciating this, Dr. Leonard said nothing either, but threw himself into the case, heart and soul, in his endeavors to seek truth and justice. Fessenden and Dr. Hills entered the library, where everything was much as it had been the night before. At one time the doctors had been about to move the body to a couch and to remove the disfigured gown, but after Dr. Leonard had been persuaded to agree with Dr. Hill's view of the case, they had left everything untouched until the coroner should come. The discovery of this was a satisfaction to Robert Fessenden. His detective instinct had begun to assert itself, and he was glad of an opportunity to examine the room before the arrival of the coroner. Though not seeming unduly curious, his eyes darted about in an eager search for possible clues of any sort. Without touching them, he examined the dagger, the written paper, the appointments of the library table, and the body itself, with its sweet, sad face, its drooping posture, and its tragically stained raiment. In true detective fashion, he scrutinized the carpet, glanced at the window fastenings, and noted the appointments of the library table. The only thing Fessenden touched, however, was a lead pencil which lay on the pen rack. It was an ordinary pencil, but he gazed intently at the gilt lettering stamped upon it, and then returned it to its place. Again he glanced quickly but carefully at every article on the table, and then, taking a chair, sat quietly in a corner, unobtrusive but alert. With something of a bustling air, the coroner came in. Coroner Benson was a fussy sort of man, with a somewhat exaggerated sense of his own importance. He paused with what he probably considered a dramatic start when he saw the dead body of Miss Van Norman, and, shaking his head, said, "'Alas! alas!' in tragic tones. Miss Morton and Kitty French had followed him in, and stood arm in arm, a little bewildered, but determined to know whatever might transpire. Cicely Dupuy and Miss Markham had also come in. But after a glance round and a preliminary clearing of his throat, he at once requested that everybody except the two doctors should leave the room. Fessenden and Kitty French were greatly disappointed at this, 
but the others went out with a feeling of relief, for the strain was beginning to tell upon the nerves of all concerned. As usual, Miss Morton tried to exercise her powers of generalship and directed that they should all assemble in the drawing-room until recalled to learn the coroner's opinion. Mrs. Markham, unheeding Miss Morton's dictum, went away to attend to her household duties, and Cicely went to her own room, but the others waited in the drawing-room. They were joined shortly by Tom Willard and Schuyler Carleton, who arrived at about the same time. Mr. Carleton, never a robust man, looked like a wreck of his former self. Years had been added to his apparent age. His impassive face wore a look of stony grief, and his dark eyes seemed filled with an unutterable horror. Tom Willard, on the contrary, being of stout build and rubicund countenance, seemed an ill-fitting figure in the sad and tearful group. But as Kitty French remarked to Fessenden in a whisper, "'Poor Tom probably feels the worst of any of us, and it isn't his fault that he can't make that fat, jolly face of his look more funereal.' "'And he's said to be the heir to the estate, too,' Fessenden whispered back. "'Now that's mean of you,' declared Kitty. "'Tom hasn't a greedy hair in his head, and I don't believe he has even thought of his fortune. And besides, he was desperately in love with Madeline, a whole heap more in love than Mr. Carlton was.' Fessenden stared at her. Then why was Carlton marrying her? For her money, said Kitty, with a disdainful air. I didn't know that, went on Fessenden quite seriously. I thought Carlton was hard hit. She was a magnificent woman. Oh, she was indeed, agreed Kitty enthusiastically. Mr. Carlton didn't half appreciate her and Tom did. But then she was always very different with Tom. Somehow she always seemed constrained when with Mr. Carlton. Then why was she marrying him? She was terribly in love with him. She liked Tom only in a cousinly way, but she adored Mr. Carlton. I know it. Well, it seems you were right about her not killing herself, so you're probably right about this matter, too. Now that shows a nice spirit, said Kitty, smiling, even in the midst of her sorrow. But truly, I'm most always right, aren't you? I shall be after this, for I'm always going to agree with you. That's a pretty large order, for I'm sometimes awfully disagreeable. I shouldn't believe that, but I've practically promised to believe everything you tell me, so I suppose I shall have to. Oh, now I have defeated my own ends. Well, never mind. Abide by your first impression that I'm always right, and then go ahead. Go ahead it is, declared Fessenden, and then Molly Gardner joined them. 
Molly was more overcome by the tragic turn affairs had taken than Kitty, and had only just made her appearance downstairs that day. "'You dear child!' cried Kitty, noting her pale cheeks and sad eyes. "'Sit right down here by us, and let Mr. Fessenden talk to you. He's the nicest man in the world to cheer anyone up.' "'And you look as if you need some cheering, Miss Gardner,' said Fessenden, arranging some pillows at her back as she languidly dropped down on the sofa. "'I can't realize it at all,' said poor Molly. "'I don't want to be silly and keep fainting all over the place, but every time I remember how Maddie looked last night—' She glanced toward the closed library doors with a shudder. "'Don't think about it,' said Rob Fessenden gently. "'What you need most, Miss Gardner, is a bit of fresh air. Come with me for a little walk in the grounds.' This was self-sacrifice on the part of the young man, for he greatly desired to be present when the coroner should open the closed doors to them again. But he really thought Miss Gardner would be better for a short, brisk walk, and getting her some wraps, they went out at the front door. End of chapter 6